Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. When I was in Atlanta, I got an opportunity to go and visit one in particular member of our church that was down a little distance from Atlanta in a town called LaGrange. And this man, he uh, used to be a longtime member of First Baptist Atlanta, and he was a former minister who had really a, a colored past. He was facing an operation, and that operation was going to remove his leg. And so we had the opportunity to go down and visit with him prior to his operation. And so he found out that I was uh, preparing for ministry. And so this man got word of that, and he said, so you're preparing for ministry, is that right? And I said, yes, sir. And he threw a book at me, and he said, here, find the Gospel of John and read it to me. And that book that he threw at me was a Greek New Testament. And so I had no idea where to even start. And this man, uh, I found out, for those of you who are Sunday school teachers or maybe you have this Bible, he's the only man that I ever knew that came up to Spiros Zadietes, the guy who wrote the, uh, key, uh, the Keyword Study Bible, and he corrected him one time. So this guy was very impressive. He had a very colored past, and needless to say, he left an impression on this young minister. And then it came time for us to conclude our visit, and it came time for us to pray. And so he said, well, let's all pray together. And so we all bowed our heads. And he said, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohinu Adonai Echad. And everybody was like, what do we do now? And then and I just looked at everybody and I said, amen. And so here's this guy. He's already thrown Greek at me. I have no clue. He's already said the Shema in Hebrew. I, I can't even follow along. And I think, well, what good am I even going to be in the ministry? I might as well just get up before I even get started. But we called that guy the prophet of LaGrange. And I wonder, have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever met somebody that just left an impression on you. Everybody knows somebody with a story. As a matter of fact, you're probably that individual here that has a story. And so let me just ask you as we start our time together in Galatians, what's your story? What's your story? And here's what else I want to tell you. I can tell you that I can tell you your story. You say, you know my story? Yes, I do. I might not know all the details of your story, but I can tell you enough of your story. You say, how are you able to do that? I'm able to do that because I know the one story that touches every story. You see, I know the story of Jesus. And amazingly, this is what's so neat about Jesus. That's, that story of Jesus, that one solitary life, His story begins before the very foundation of the world. And you can't escape from that reality. You, you can't escape from the reality of Jesus has come. And so even if you're here this morning and your uh, mind is more skeptical, maybe you're just visiting today because you heard that Shane and Shane were coming or something like that, but maybe you're here today and, and, and you're a little skeptical, but even this morning, your question, you have to deal with this fact, is what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? C.S. Lewis, here's what he said. He said, either Jesus is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And so the question remains for you, what are you going to do with Jesus? You see, he's the reason that I can confidently say that I know the nuts and bolts of your story. 
And the reason that I can say that I know the nuts and bolts of your story is because I know his story. And his story is so encompassing that it impacts everyone. And so where do you go to find your story? Some of you are still wondering, what on earth am I here for? Some of you are wondering, what is my story? Did you know that the psychic industry, that is those, those numbers that you call or the places that you can visit, those, those people, the tarot card people, the psychic industry in America, did you know that that's a $2 billion industry in America? Did you know that? Think about that. Put that in perspective. That's 20 times, that's over 20 times the average Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And here's another fact for you. In 2020 alone, now what was going on in 2020? Anybody know? Something, right? In 2020 alone, the psychic industry grew faster than it had grown in five years. Five years of growth condensed in one year alone. Also, somebody can sit across from you and tell you the nuts and bolts, the big sweeps of what your life's all about. You know what that tells me? It tells me that people are looking for an anchor. It tells me that people in our society are looking for hope. And here's what I want to tell you today. The Bible, the Word of God provides the only suitable anchor for your story. It's the only suitable anchor for your soul. And so let's join and read together. Let's, let's go to Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 20. We're going to focus today on Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I am perplexed about you. So in that one passage there, Paul begins to tell the story of the Galatians. And it's really not just their story, it's, your, it's not just their story, it's your story. Excuse me, it's not just their story, it's your story. And it's not just your story, it's also my story. And so he puts 
two periods in your life. There was a period before Christ, and there was a period after Christ. And to make the point clear that Christ has come and changed everything, especially for those who believe, Paul, what does he do? He divides the timeline of their lives. He divides the timeline of our lives as before Christ and after they believed. Before Christ and after they believed. And let me say this. For some of you listening this morning, this is your story. You just don't know it yet because you've not yet believed, but you will believe. And so you look in these pages of Scripture and you see your story. So I want to tell you your story. Are you ready? Your story is divided into two parts. It's a two-part series, before and after. So here's how we're going to call the first part of your story. We're going to call it, There Was a Time When. There Was a Time When. And a couple of marks for you to, to walk through this story of there was a time when. Well, there was a time when you didn't know God. There was a time when you didn't know God. Look how specific the language is at verse 8. And there again, you see the time reference. It's not just me making things up. It's already there. Formerly. Something happened to say formally. Formally. It's not that you weren't aware of God. Don't misread that. Don't read that, you, that the Bible's saying that you weren't aware of God. You might have been aware of some spiritual force in the universe. Matter of factly, think back to that psychic. Think about, think about what that story tells us. If that industry is $2 billion, you know, our age is filled with people who are very interested in spiritual things. And so you may have been one of those that had the notion of the divine, but that's not what this verse is mentioning. This verse says that you didn't know God. Some of you might have gone to a, a so-called worship service where there was a false gospel that was preached, a, a gospel that went something like this. It encouraged you to, to be the better you, to be your best, do the very best that you can, and then maybe you're going to make it to heaven when you die. And let me just say this, emphatically and as clearly as I know how, any version of God outside the cross of Jesus Christ is no knowledge of God. Any version of God outside the cross of Jesus is no knowledge of God. And because you didn't know God, the next part of your story is that you were enslaved you were enslaved. You, were, you say, what was I enslaved to? Felt pretty free to me. You were a slave to, to false hopes. You were a slave to false dreams. Always trying, but never being good enough. Never making it as, as far as you'd hoped. Those versions, you know, of, of the better life that our society throws in our face. The finer house the bigger salary, the fancier things. Just have a little more and your life will get better. Maybe, you know, like that diet that we're all going to start tomorrow. It comes. Just a little bit more, but never enough. Stay hungry, never empty. Always full. Or as Uncle Screwtape reminds Wormwood, Prosperity knits a man to the world. 
He feels that he is finding his place in it when when in reality it is finding its place in him. You had a yoke upon you that was unbearable. Or maybe you're here this morning and you still do. It's a yoke of a ruthless taskmaster. It's a yoke of one who never lets go. It's a yoke from from a master that doesn't say it is finished, but it says just a little more. These taskmasters, they come across as maybe unbearable or unbreakable. How can you say no? How can you do things different? How can you break away? But in reality, look at verse 9. These taskmasters are really just smoke and mirrors, weak and worthless. You see, there was a time when you were used. What's Paul doing here? He's confronting these, ta- these false teachers. And these false teachers, they've come with a message. And it's a message that, listen carefully, it's not that Jesus paid it all. But it's Jesus, and we're fine with having Jesus, but it's Jesus plus all of these other things, whether it be church attendance or baptism or tithing or whatever the case may be. It's not just simply Jesus. It's Jesus plus all of these things. And see, the problem is, is that these false teachers that Paul is confronting, they have no confidence in the cross of Christ. They have no confidence in the cross of Christ. And when you lose confidence in the cross, you substitute confidence in something else. And let me say this, anything else is worthless. Anything else is meaningless. In the case of these false teachers, since since they're the ones that are making up the requirements for the satisfaction of sin, the system really becomes about them. They think that they're right, but that's the problem. They've substituted the wisdom of God for their own wisdom. And so these false teachers, they they prop up their position by by infiltrating the believers of Galatia. They, They draw large crowds, and in reality, they're just using people to build up their own egos. They're getting people, they have a a litany of success, and the litany of their success is not in the power of God and change lives, but it's in, in budget increases or attendance increases. They live by the numbers. What a double edged sword. Those who live by the numbers will die by them too. But here they are. They come and they say, I know that you've heard it said of Paul, but here's the true way. And they come flashy, vibrant. It almost seems like they're concerned with these Galatians, but Paul wants to make it clear. He says, they're not concerned about you. They're only concerned about themselves because they need you to prop up their own egos. And if they don't have you to prop up their own egos, then they fall. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says that they're using you. They're using 
they are using you by using others. They're, they're taking advantage of others, and they're taking advantage of others is the only way that they can hold it all together. Because the message isn't stable enough. It's weak and worthless. It's smoke and mirrors. It isn't enough to hold itself up. It needs the support of something else. It doesn't stand on the cross of Christ alone. It stands on something else. Your expectations, your dreams, your wants, your desires, and you bring all of that to hold up this false notion of hope. It needs support, and the support only comes at the expense of others. And let me just say that this is the exact way that legalism and religiosity and religion works. It says that you aren't good enough. It says the cross of Christ is not enough. And so the solution is is to come and make you forget grace, to make you forget the fact that Jesus paid it all and you're forgiven. And so it says, pray a little harder and maybe God will forgive you. Come to church a little more to feel better. Give a little more to ease your conscience. You're trapped and used in a system of legalism instead of freed by grace. Now, don't misunderstand the preacher, right? I'm not saying that we don't need prayer. I'm not saying that we don't need church, and no preacher's ever going to say that you shouldn't give, right? Nobody's ever going to say that. There's nothing wrong with giving, but, but grace takes our motivation. It takes our motivation and moves us from hesitant to eager, from having to, to wanting to. In other words, it it moves us to action in light of grace as those who are already forgiven, not as those who are searching for forgiveness. And listen to me carefully. There is no forgiveness in things that we, could, we do. There is only forgiveness in what Christ has done. There is no forgiveness in things that we do. There is only forgiveness in what Christ has done. You see, there was a time in your life when, when you were taken advantage of. And see, this is what, this is what compels our mission. This is why we want to see a full auditorium. This is why we want to see the ones who come equipped to go out there and share, because there's a whole world out there with people who the Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. They're walking around in darkness, fumbling around in the darkness, blind. And how will they hear the good news unless somebody tells them? you say, who will tell them? To which the answer is, you will. You say, how do I tell them? You just tell them your story. I once was blind, just like you. I once was lost, fumbling about in the dark chasing after false dreams, chasing after false hopes. But now, 
I see. Jesus has come not to take advantage of you, but to free you and to give you life. And He does so by giving His life for you so that He can give His life to you. Jesus and the gospel stands in such bright contrast to any time before. You see, we move into the second part of your story, and I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice that this is your story. There was a time when, but now. But now, this stark and amazing contrast of grace, the riches of God's grace, there was a time, but now. And what's true of you now because of Jesus? Now, look at the Bible. Look at verse 9. Now you're known by God. And I want you to write that down just the way that it is there. You are known by God. You see that? That's a, that's a term of relationship. Look at the change in verse 9. Listen to what it says. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. You see how specific Paul gets? God knows you. You are known by God. The God of the universe, He chose to save you. You say, why did He do that? I have no idea. But I sure am glad that He did. He sought you when you weren't seeking Him. When you didn't know His name, He knew your name. And He says, you see that one there? He's mine. You see that one there? She's mine. And the enemy comes and says, but, but you don't understand what this individual has done. And God says, mm, mm, mm. none of that matters because I have set my seal on that one. I have loved him. I have loved her with an everlasting love. You are one of his own, and he loves you. You see, through Jesus, you can have a personal relationship with God. And I get to say, and now you get to say what the lover in the Song of Songs says about God. You get to say, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He knows my name. I know Him, and I am known by Him. But the way that I know Him, listen, is by grace through faith in Jesus. I want you to look around today. Look around. I get to look at you. You get to look at me. But look at each other. Just look around. You know what? There's one thing that all of us have in common today. All of us are loved by God. Now, not all of us love God, but all of us are loved by Him. 
That's what the church is. We are, we are those who understand the undeserved, unmerited love of God. And because we understand the love of God, the riches of His kindness towards us, you know what that inevitably does for us? It makes us more loving. Or I should say it this way, it makes us the most loving. The church is to be filled with those who love the most because we realize that we are loved the most. Who can love you more than God? No one. You say, you don't know my mama. I don't have to know your mama. God loves you infinitely more. Now, you are loved by others. Not only do you know God, but you're loved by others. Isn't it amazing that God created Adam, and He said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It wasn't talking about him relating with God, because that can't be what makes man alone. It talks about this interpersonal relationship that only can be fulfilled in community. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose 12? He came to build a people. He came to build a people, and yes, I understand that even those 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John, but there's always this community. And then look, the testimony of the, the apostles, look how far it spread today. Look at how many people. There's more than 12 people here. There's more than 100 people here. You see, God has come to build community. And what's the community that he's, he's building? He's building a community of people who are loved. People who are loving, people who love others, even if loving others is difficult. Notice the language. Notice the intensity. Look at verse 11. I may have labored over you in vain. Look at what he says in verse 19. My little children with whom I'm in the anguish of childbirth. I remember seeing my wife three times in the anguish of childbirth. All that to say that ministry is, 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 is work. You say, well, what are you talking about? Are you, are you padding your own position to keep yourself employed? Ministry is work. What are you talking about? No, no, I'm talking about what we do together in community. Church is work. That's why a lot of people avoid it, because it's work. One of the beautiful things that we get to learn in church is how to put up with each other. Now, some of you should say amen, and you did. You just need to say it out loud. And let me just say this. There have been times as a pastor where there were some people that I didn't want to see. But the love of Christ compelled me to seek them out. I remember early on in my ministry, there were some Sunday school classes that I didn't want to go in because I knew that there were going to be a small group that were going to rake me over the coals and ask me what I didn't do and why I did what I did. But I went in anyway. You say, well, that's your job. You get paid to do that. You know, I would do that even if I didn't get paid to do it because this is, this is what we're supposed to learn. This is what we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to learn in community how to bear with one another. And Paul's going to make this point a little clearer in Galatians 6 when he talks about bearing one another's burdens. 
And in in community, that's where we learn to to bear with one another. That's where we learn to forgive one another. And that's something, that's something that, that we haven't learned well enough in the South. That's something that we haven't learned well in the Christian South. Because if we get angry at the church, we can just go right to the next church. It's like, I'm going to take my ball, and because you didn't play nice with me in the sandbox, I'm going to go find somebody else to play ball with. How many people do you know have left this church over silly things over the, over the years? And you say, you, meaning, why are you saying silly? You weren't there. You don't know. I'm talking about a crucified Savior who said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Whatever you dealt with, brother or sister, it's silly compared to Jesus. And we, don't, we haven't learned this lesson because we've got the option. You know, we can church hop. We can go here and yonder. So I don't like this particular this or I, my feelings were hurt there. And so I just, I just pick it up and I just go somewhere else. But you know what? If, if you were to watch some of the same patterns, you go right to the next church next door, and, and then in a few years, the same thing happens, and you're in a new place, and you never have the wherewithal to make the connection that the problem wasn't the church. It was you all along, because you didn't forgive. Or maybe you never learned to love. You don't see the false teachers writing a letter. Paul, even from a distance and with all of his concern, he he takes this opportunity to to write and, and not just write, but write with passion. He lets them know. He says, he labored. Look at what he says. I love in verse 12. He calls them brothers and sisters. Look how far we've come from chapter 3 and verse 1 when he calls them idiots. Now he calls them brothers and sisters. So what's he saying? He's saying, even if I call you an idiot, it's because I love you. (laughs) He labored with them. He labored over them. He wishes, look at verse, look at verse 20. Oh, oh, I pray. We're all talking about COVID numbers and our church attendance, what it was like before COVID and after COVID and all of these, ta- all of these thoughts. We've used COVID as an excuse, I'm afraid, in some cases to not come to church. The reason I can say that is because I was with a lot of you yesterday and there was a bunch of us in, in one place watching a ball game and none of us had problems there. We've all used the excuse, but that excuse is over. Now is an opportunity to search our hearts and to say that what Paul says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you. Do you wish to be present with others? He labored. He called them brothers and sisters. He wishes to be with them. He's perplexed about them. He's in the anguish of childbirth. He loves them. And they love him. And he knows it. You see, this is the change the gospel brings. Now you have a clear vision. You have clear vision. He reminds them here in in these verses of his initial coming. When he first came, 
He came the same way that he did with the Corinthians, not in power, but in weakness. His presence was the gospel on display. His authority didn't rest in his own prestige, but in the power of the gospel of God, which brings salvation to all who believe. Paul says, look at the language here in verse 14. He says that his coming was a trial, a temptation. Now, we're not sure what the trial is, but maybe, maybe just in his coming, his coming was a temptation the way that he came. He came, and in his coming, it was a temptation to disregard his message, but they couldn't because his message was accompanied with the power of the Spirit. Paul, he wasn't the best looking. You read his letters, and he's always having to give an apologetic. He's always having to tell people why he's doing what he's doing, because they really don't understand what he's doing. But he's just telling them, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus, and I'm here to love on you, to labor over you, to anguish over you, to let you know that there's something greater for you to pursue. Don't fall back. Well, he wasn't the best looking. He might not have been the most likely, but the power of God rested upon Paul. And brothers and sisters, that's all that matters. You see, they have a new vision. Through Paul, they've been taught how to evaluate. They've been taught what to look for. And even in the way that Paul speaks, he teaches them what matters. Look at verse 19. It isn't enough for Christ to be in them or for them to be in Christ. Christ must be formed in them. He's teaching them to evaluate what matters. And what matters is Christ being formed in you. What does that mean? That is, he's saying, until they're so consumed that they're conformed into the image of Christ. Don't stop until you get there. And as we look at this text, there are just so many details that are just, we could pull off the page, but suffice it to say, but now, here's the highlight of your story. Here's what Paul's trying to say. Now you're free. You're free. Become as I am, he says, as I have become as you are. He says, don't, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't turn back. The Galatians, they, they face a real problem. Look at verse 9. The real problem, is, as the old preachers used to say, it's the problem of backsliding, going backwards. You may know individuals in your family. You may know someone in this community that they face a real threat of going backwards, submitting again to a yoke of slavery, pursuing passions and dreams and ambitions when all satisfaction is in Jesus. And Paul says, do what Paul did, rather, make an appeal to them, not because of legalism, but remind them that they are forgiven and they have found their soul's satisfaction in Christ alone. There's so many that have bought into the narrative of our times from false God who offer satisfaction, but in reality, we need to say the same thing that Paul says. Those gods only enslave.
This is your story. There was a time when, but now because of Jesus, all of these things are true. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you read Galatians 4, 8 through 20? Do you see yourself there? You see, the question that I'm asking is, have you met Jesus? Have you realized His amazing love? There was a time when you were, but now because of Jesus. And it's my prayer that what's said of Galatians, what's said of them, it's my prayer that this is your story. Would you pray with me? Father, how grateful we are for the way that you love us. How grateful we are for your patience with us, your patience with us. How unworthy we are to receive your love. But how radically you have transformed us by grace. It's my prayer for one or more within the sound of my voice that they don't know Jesus. Would today be the day that you call them to yourself and they believe and receive new life. In Jesus' name and for his sake, all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.